1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to continue part two, you might say, of the evidence of true salvation, of course, which is love, as found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So I'm going to read the entire chapter again. 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have a gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, it is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Well, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. So again, the evidence of true salvation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word We thank you. Your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even, dividing asunder the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a cerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Lord, I pray that your word will go forth in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, and it would affect and transform our lives for our good and thy glory. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three Greek words that were in use during biblical times or New Testament times concerning that we would all use or translate or may translate in English today as love. They were the word that's used here, agape, which means affection, goodwill, benevolence, which is a pure love of God. You know, pure love is without an agenda, without a motive. No, 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 there's an ulterior motive. It's not seeking, it's giving. There's phileo, which means to be friendly to one. When Jesus spoke to Peter and asked him, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, thou knowest I love thee. That was the word that Peter used. And then Jesus used it back to him on one of those occasions. And it means to be friendly to one, to delight in one. It speaks of a friendship. The other word that was used in biblical times is eros. And it speaks of the Greek god of love or the Roman Cupid. So it refers to 
physical love of sexual relations. The interesting thing is, though the Bible speaks of the marriage relationship, it never uses this word. Never uses it. And I ask myself the question, or why, and I believe it's because this, that true love is not based on a sexual relationship. It's based in agape, goodwill, benevolence, or phileo, which means, again, to delight in or to have friends. You know. It, you know, true love is not self-seeking but giving. And only, can we, only then can a marriage or any relationship really know what love is when it's not self-seeking. It's voluntary giving of one self to another. And of course, anything other than that, you know, just a lot of the, the physical stuff today is just lust. That's what it is. And so the Bible never uses that word. So if we're thinking about the word charity here, and of course it's a, it's a word that we would use today to, uh, instead of the word love, we, more something we use today, because when we think of charity, as I mentioned last week, we often think of you know, giving to a good cause or something like that. But the word here is agape, and sometimes it is translated love in the Bible. Uh, but, and I don't understand Greek and all that enough to know, and I'm not a scholar to understand why it's char- translated charity here. And, of course, this is a little older English. But, but it is, you know, uh, it's, I believe a copy of the inspired word of God. But it be that as it may, that this, is, this love is of God. First John 4, just to review a little bit, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And we, so we're talking about this kind of love, that it is of God. You know, it isn't something that's natural or that we, you and I are born with. You and I are born naturally selfish and unloving. And, and so love is of God, for God is love, First John 4, verse 8 says. And this is, of course, what Jesus was talking about when he said to the disciples in John 13, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one to another. And, of course, this love is defined for us in Romans 13.10, where it says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You know, true love is based in righteousness, the righteousness of God. It is obeying the law of God. And therefore, doing right, the most loving thing you can do to your neighbor or anyone is to do right to them. Just do right. Now, doesn't mean you give them everything they want. It means you do right. Do right. And so, so that is what love is. And we looked last week as we began... This passage of love's preferences or preference uh, it is it is greater than than prophesying or understanding all mysteries. We know, and again, this is very fitting that Paul's writing this because to Paul was given the mysteries of the church age. I mean, he, the dispensation of the, the age of grace, the mysteries concerning all that that were hidden in the Old Testament were given to him. We saw that in Ephesians chapter three. But he says charity or love is is greater than that. I can understand all mysteries, but I, if I don't have charity, I'm nothing. And, of course, prophecies, and there were still men prophesying at that time because the scriptures were not complete. And, and he said, I could have all faith. And, you know, I can have all these things, but, but love is greater than that. And then we began looking at love's properties, how it is defined in verses 4 through 7. 
You know, it suffers long, kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't uh, seek its own or puff up itself, or it's prideful, uh, it, it is considerate of others, it doesn't seek its own, it is giving of itself. It, it's not easily provoked or angered, and it, it, it rejoices, and it don't think evil of people, it thinks the best of people, and it rejoices not in iniquity, it, has, it takes no pleasure in sin. It won't... It won't uh, uh, it, as one, one commentator said this, that although love is all this, quote, it is not guileless to the point of tolerance of sin, no matter where it is found. Love is charitable, but not foolish. It sees good, but is not blind to willful, premeditated, and hidden evil. Its charity will cover up mistakes of a penitent, but will never close its eyes to sin being hugged to the bosom of a hypocrite. Love has a good sense of proportion. It is proportionately charitable and proportionately critical, unquote. So it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the true. And then, and then I want you, as we think about, as we continue today, I want to notice love's permanence. And this is the third main point in this series of messages. Uh, but it, I want you to notice love's permanence. In verses 7 through 13, he gives us love's permanence. And, and, and I have several sub-points here, actually, of four. But uh, two and then four Subpoints under that. But anyway, uh, this love of God is not something that comes and goes. It is permanent. God's love is eternal. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto men, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know, even when God chastens us, He's chastening us to bring us back to Himself. To bring us back to Himself. Just like a parent would lovingly chasten their child to bring them back into a right fellowship with them. That's what God does in our lives. He loves us. And so he's, he's, he, never, he never quits seeking us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, God's love for man will never cease. It is an everlasting love. And you may be here this morning, lost, bound in sin, trying to better yourself, bound in the wicked, and maybe resisting his will, but God still loves you. God still loves you. He is not willing that any should perish. You see, his love is permanent. It's permanent. And as we think about that permanence of God's love, it is, this love is not deterred by circumstances. Notice verse 7. He gives four things here in verse 7. As we think about circumstances, he says, Charity, or, I'm sorry, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. You see, the love of God is not deterred or turned aside, or forsaken because of our circumstances. It beareth all things. The word beareth here has the idea of covering to keep something that which threatens, to bear up against, to hold out against. In 1 Peter 4.8, Peter wrote, under inspiration, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. In other words, it'll bear one another's faults. Yeah, we all have our faults. 
And it, it is bearing, and as the quote I read you, you know, uh, uh, love bears and, and will cover up mistakes of one who's penitent, uh, one who's, 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 who's uh, 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 not, who is, is uh, uh, repentant of their sin, uh, you know, with a spirit of humility, and, and, and that's what beareth all things here. One, one man said this, quote, we don't go spying out the faults of others. Spurgeon said, quote, love stands in the presence of a fault with a finger on its lips, unquote. So it beareth all things. You know, I'm just going to tell you what I think about the Apostle Paul. I think he was a very strong-willed man. He was. He was that way before he was saved. God humbled him. But he was still that way after. He was very determined. You know, and even there was, what, was it three times the Spirit said not go to Jerusalem? Agabus said that. The daughter, or Philip said that. You know, and, 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 it, and it was said one other time that he should not go to the Jerusalem because persecution awaits him. But he was a very determined man. He was not. With all due respect to Paul, I don't think he was the easiest guy to get along with. But it was because of his strong determination that God used him in so widely a way he did. God used that because he never, he was, he was, that determination kept him pursuing the things of God even in the face of the severest trials that many would have said, that's enough. But you know, there were those who bear with Paul in that. You see, love bears all things. It's not deterred by the circumstances or, 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 or qualities or faults of others. It, when, when, when somebody does something to them that they don't think is quite right, that, that you know, isn't, isn't something that you would... Uh, uh, bring up to church discipline, it, it, it maybe offends you in some way, and then, and then they come around and ask you to forgive them. But, but see, that offense is not going to cause you to quit. I mean, see, many people that got offended by somebody, something somebody said, and they may not even know it. But they get offended, and they quit. They leave a church over it. Because they got upset. You know, there's going to be things that we say to each other that can be offensive. You know, we need to be forbearing with one another. And love does that. Love isn't quick to take offense. It bears all things. It believeth all things. And these things are really related. Believeth all things. The word believeth here is used in an ethical sense. It's of confidence in the goodness of men. You know, you, that somebody may say something to you, and you just may take it in the wrong way. It didn't mean it that way. I remember an evangelist telling me one time that he went to the, you know, he had been away from home, so he came home, and he went to the post office to get his mail. And he, I said, he, I, I had this big stack of mail. And I was busy looking at my mail, and I just walked out of the mailbox, out of the post office, and he said, a week or so later, I met one of the ladies of the church. 
And she said, Preacher, you offended me. He said, what? She said, you offended me. He said, I was in the post office the other day, when you, and you just totally ignored me, and you just walked out of the post office. You didn't even say hello. He said, I'm so sorry. I didn't even see you. You know, he saw a person, but he was busy looking at all this mail he had. He didn't really look at who it was. And so he treated her like a stranger. That easily could have been taken. No, no, you see, but when, he, when we say we beareth all things, she, that's, that's part of that. But it needs to believe in the goodness of men. It's believing the best in people. We don't believe evil unless we have facts to prove it. See, it's not deterred by these circumstances. Sometimes we perceive things that aren't necessarily so. Hope, not only does it love bear all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things. Hope has to do with waiting with joy and confidence. Romans chapter 8 verse 4 says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is, not, is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what is he yet hope for? Uh, so, you know, hope means we, we, we wait with joy and confidence, and confidence in, in, our, in God. Uh, in in uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith in this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And verse 5 again says, And hope make it not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And, we need to, and our hope needs to be in God. You know, Psalm 146 verse 5 says, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord. Now happy is he, you might say, whose hope is in the Lord. Psalm 62 5 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. You see, love has confidence in the transforming power of the word of God. It has hope. It has confidence in God. You know, as, as God's people, we ought to have hope. Not only in our God, but hope that God can work in my life and the lives of others. I remember when we were in Maine, there was a neighbor man, Russell Noyes. When I, we moved there, I think he was 83. And I'd go to see him probably two or three times a year. And I'd talk to him about the Lord, and he'd say, oh, I think I'm okay. And I'd ask him this question, Russell, do you have peace with God? And he'd kind of hang his head. He said, and he'd say this almost every time. I don't even know why I'm still here. Why God even loves me. And I say, Russell, as long as you're alive, there's hope for you. Six years, we witnessed to that man. I'd take evangelists to see him. Six years. I think it was like two years later. We went back to Maine. And the pastor there at the church said, By the way, Russell Norris got saved. 
and we went to see him. And he told me that in the hospital, he'd asked the Lord to save him. But I remember telling him, Russell, as long as you're alive, there's hope. See, love hopeth all things. It has confidence or expectation in God. Trust and confidence in Him. It hopeth all things. Then fourthly, love endureth all things. It endureth all things. To endure means, of course, to bear bravely, calmly, absolutely ill treatment. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse 10, again the Apostle Paul, writing to young Timothy, said, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He said, I endure all things for their sake. The elect's sake would refer to the Jews who persecuted him. What did Paul endure? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verses 23 to 33, he describes what he endured for the elect's sake. He said, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, and labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. He faced death many times. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Forty was meant to kill a man. And five times he was whipped by the Jews. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Now this referred to in the deep of the ocean. This, and by the way, this writing was before Acts chapter 27 when he was shipwrecked on his way to Rome. Uh, in journeys often, perils of waters, and perils of robbers, and perils by mine own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Drop down to verse 32. In Damascus, the governor under Arrestus, the king kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall. Do you know what they threw out the window by that wall? The sewage of the city. And to escape the king of Damascus, Paul was let down along that filthy wall and basically lowered in what we would consider like a septic tank on the ground. You wonder why he said I'm the off scouring of the world. See these are the things that Paul endured. And all these things Paul would say this, all these things God has allowed in my life but I still love him. I still love my Jewish brethren who want to kill me. Why, Paul? How can you do that? How can you say that? Because the love of God was shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. He would write in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And he would say in Romans that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing. Not the circumstances that come into my life, 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 37 through 39, he says, uh, verse 35, he says, Who shall separate from us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? You know, th- there was distress in his life, and sometimes you have distress in your life, but nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Famine, persecutor, nakedness, peril, sword. Nay, in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are conquerors through him. You know, death has lost its power to separate us from God. It cannot. If we know Christ is our Lord and our Savior, if we've repented of our sins and put our faith in him, nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Death has lost its power. And he says, not life, not death, verse 38, nor life, nothing in this life, not the power of angels. The word powers and principalities here refers to angels and demonic forces. And then he says in verse 39, height nor depth nor any other creature. You know, I've had people say to me, well, I can separate myself from God's love. Are you a creature? Are you a creation of God? If you are God's child, you cannot be separated from his love. Now, if you want to be a rebellious child of God, he will chasten. He will chasten. Just like Gideon chastened the men of Succoth this morning. And if you want to be stubbornly rebellious and hold yourself up in a tower, I thought about this, Brother Hoyle, hold yourself in a tower, a stronghold, and in that case, it was a stronghold of rebellion against Gideon. You know what happened to them? They all died. There is a sin unto death. That's talking about God shortening a Christian's life who is stubbornly rebellious against his will. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 describes some. See, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. God loves us, and nothing will separate us from his love. Nothing. And see, Paul continued on against the most difficult circumstances that could come into a person's life, facing death constantly, and he continued on because he said, the love of Christ constraineth us. It drives me. It impels me. It propels me. It's the cause of my ministry. And if you're in ministry for any other cause, or you're serving God for any other cause than his love, it's idolatry. See, nothing. Love, the love of God, will not be deterred by circumstances. Secondly, love does not change. Love does not change. Notice again verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. 
For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be gone away. Love doesn't change. The word never faileth means to fall powerless or fall to the ground or to be without effect. And to prove his point here that love never fails, Paul points to things that will fail, that will cease. He compares love to things that man, those at Corinth, highly praised and pride themselves in and which had great impact in the early churches. And that was gifts of prophecy, knowledge, and tongues. Now those three things... He mentioned, of course, in verses 1 through 3, and those same things had great impact in the early church. But he said these same things, he describes it as they're going to fail, they're going to vanish away, and they're going to cease, but not love. The gifts of prophecy and knowledge, these were, of course, the gifts given when the scriptures were incomplete. You know, the, the, again, the, at this time of this writing, the scriptures are still not complete. Uh, some of the books of the Bible hadn't been written yet. So there was the gift of knowledge, which Paul had. He had the, the gift of knowledge of, of, of giving Scripture. There were those who were prophets who were still foretelling. John foretold the future. There is still some of yet, yet future in the book of Revelation. So he was a prophet. So prophecy was still being given. But he said, these things are going to end. And of course, tongues were a sign gift to the Jews for accreditation that these men and this message is of God. It really, it was an accreditation of the church. In other words, God is saying to the Jews, look, we're leaving the temple and its sacrifices because we have the fulfillment of the temple and its sacrifices, and that is Christ. And so we're going to have Christ, we have Christ and his church replacing the temple worship. That's why the rail was rent from top to bottom, signifying an end to that. Because Christ is the fulfillment of that. And so tongues were a sign to confirm this to the Jews. And it was a sign to the Jews. You know, the Jews seek after a sign. First uh, Corinthians one twenty two says that they Jews require a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. So son, uh, t- uh, tongues was a sign gift. Of course, it was an ability to speak an unlearned but understandable language. It was an understandable language, but it was something that was unlearned. And, and as you think about tongues, there were some qualifications here. There was always an apostle and a Jew present when it was done because it was a sign to the Jews. And these sign gifts were given to the apostles to confirm the word. But, but here's what Paul says about him. You know, and Paul did these things. He experienced all of these. He prophesied. He had the gift of knowledge of, of uh, the Spirit of God uh, uh, enabled him to pen Scripture under inspiration. So he had the gift of knowledge. So he's not saying these things weren't important. But you know, Corinth pride themselves in their spiritual gifts. And what Paul's saying is, look, gifts do not compare to love. They do not compare. Because they're going to fail. They're going to vanish away. If you notice in verse uh, um, 8 again, Charity never faileth. Whether they're prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The word fail and the words vanish away mean, have the, are the same Greek word. It means to cause, to cease, put an end to, to do away with. 
And the word cease, when he talks about tongues, means to leave off or stop or discontinue. So these things are going to discontinue. But charity will never discontinue. It's going to continue. It is of greater value. And to illustrate this, and again, the, the things that, these, that men pride themselves in this, he, you know, that these are going to stop. He illustrates it as a child versus an adult. If you notice in verses 11 and 12, he says, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. So as a child, we see through a glass darkly. You know, there are things that I did not understand as a child which I understand now. That, that understanding comes with maturity. And so there are things we don't understand as a child. But he says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. See, there were things that weren't penned yet by the Holy Spirit. Instruction concerning the churches. That wasn't completely understood yet. But Paul says, when the, when the Bible comes to maturity or completion, these childish or beginning things, prophecy, knowledge, and tongues, will no longer be needed. They are like childhood of the age of grace. You know, we're, we're talking about a transitional time from the Old Testament to the New. And so... In the beginning there, there was these gifts, and given, again, given for the expansion of the gospel and to confirm the word, and, but he said they're going to come to an end. But again, the point of this is, he said, these temporary gifts, the Corinthians pride themselves in, and yet there were divisions and schisms among them. Why? Because they, they put more emphasis on the gifts than they did on love. They had their priorities out of whack. And sometimes, you know, we can pride ourselves in positions of which are really of little consequence, but fail to love one another. But love will never fail. It will never cease. It will never be without effect. I remember when I was in Bible Institute years ago, one of the teachers was telling me about a story of a missionary who was in, and I'm not sure where it was anymore, but he was, he was ministering to lepers. And leprosy, you know, you get, it's a skin disease, and your, your skin begins to break open, and it just oozes with pus, and, you know. And, and literally what it does is just eat your body from the outside in, you know. Um, and so he's witnessing it, he's trying to emphasize that to this leper of God's love, and his love for him and his concern for his soul. And the leper said, prove it. And he said, I knew what he meant by that. Give me a kiss. He said, I did. You know, the world wants to see somebody that really has compassion and love, and really cares. That can have the greatest effect in the life of anyone. It may mean just giving time. 
or a listening ear. See, love does not change. It will never be without effect. In fact, he says there's three things that are going to abide. Three things that will not perish. Three three things that will stand in, in verse 13. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. You know, faith is very important. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's our faith in Christ that, that brings us salvation. You know, it's putting our trust and dependence upon it and hope. You know, it's our confident expectation and our expectation is in God. You know, we need to have hope and, and, and so on. But the greatest of these, greater than our faith, greater than our hope is, greater than our confidence in God is love. It's larger, that word greater there means larger or stronger. The greatest of these. Of course, Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment, there's 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Your love encourages us, but it also examines us. It reveals our heart, reveals our nature. Your, Hebrews 13.1 says, let, let brotherly love continue. First John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Your love is not just words, although they can be words. But love is the attitude and actions that are according to the truth. And thy word is truth. Love of God is manifested in the way we treat others. This love of God is ours when we put our faith and trust and it depends on Him and yield ourselves to Him. Somebody has said that trust is the avenue of love. Love is built on trust. I don't know about you this morning, but I feel convicted when I read this. Because I fall short. You know, love examines us. That's what God does in His Word. He is love. But love is the greatest. It is the greatest of the things that will stand. Do we have a love for God that compels us to love one another? You know, if God is working in our life, that ought to be growing in your life. Is it growing? Is the love of God shed abroad on your heart? You know, it is a matter of the heart. So is your heart right with God? Is God's love being demonstrated from your heart?